When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. How's it going, gang? Well, I guess we're up. No intro. All right. We don't need an intro because we're coming to you live from the Back the A studios. I am Mike Luke, joined by John Schuster, William Brad Alice, as always brought to you by DraftKings, America's number one sportsbook app. Got a lot to get to already. A ton of questions or comments coming in here. But all right. We got to talk about, first of all, Arizona basketball, this looked like one of those games you're going to play ugly against a bad team and you end up winning by 14 and we're sitting here talking about how they didn't look very good. They bucked that trend. They ended up winning by 30 plus, John Schuster. It certainly drifted that way uh, in the you know first 12 minutes of the game. And and to Corpus Christi's, Christie's Christie. no last, wow, that sounds like a good donut chain. Uh, to the Islanders' credit, uh, they were, uh, you know, they're a pesky team. I think they've got some pretty good athleticism and some talent. They're going to be a problem in their conference. There's a decent chance they're going to get into the league. I think their coach at some time, at some point in the fairly near future, is going to get a pretty good job. I think they do a lot of things well. But after Arizona realized the quickness that it was up against and, you know, in fairness, was a little bit flat footed as they prepare, as they get off of a big game uh, that took place Saturday and prepare for another big game that's coming up uh, Saturday. This one in between. Once they kind of leveled things off a little bit, it was clear where this thing was going to go. And ultimately, and, you know, I think arguably the last 30 minutes or so of this matchup, Arizona was clearly in control, was going to pull away and got really good bench play uh, beyond that. I think Arizona's bench scored 49 of their 99 points in a 99-61 win, uh, which I think was also a good idea from Tommy Lloyd's perspective to give his starters a lot of rest, knowing that there's uh, going to be uh, some serious, some legitimately highly ranked competition coming into McHale over the weekend. William? Yeah, you know, it was one of those games, again, the slow start, but then they almost doubled their the, the Corpus Christi in the second half. I mean, I think they outscored them, uh, what, 52-27. Um, you know, and I think we all love when you get out to one of those early 30-7 to seven runs and, and the game's over by halftime. But more often than not, even against, you know, mediocre competition, and this is a team that if they get in the NSA tournament, will be lucky to get a 15. Um you know, what were they in the play-in game last year or the year before? Uh, but, you know, that happens. You know, it's a feeling out process. Uh, obviously, they came out. They uh, played a little sloppy. I think Corpus Christi played pretty well, knocked down some shots, and did just enough to make Arizona uncomfortable for eight or nine minutes. And uh, then it was all Arizona from there. So there's not a whole lot you can learn from it. I think more than anything, 
it's one of those games that you schedule because you know they're going to be a competent team that can bring a different look to the table. And how dare you slander Kirk Walters with Alex Jacobson slander? You know, we're going to get to Dylan Anderson in a second because he's been beat up a lot right here. But first, had a lot of people here that want to talk about the four peaks. Naturally, um, this joking aside, um, this is going to be the strength of this team. And we've talked about it a bunch. Four peaks, four peaks, dubbed by John Schuster. I cannot take credit for this. I stole it from him and ran with it, but it's John Schuster that to blame or give credit for as the Swedish pinball, which we, we will get to later on in the show. But guys, I didn't, and I know Schuster, you're not really into this kind of stuff. Brad, you are a little bit more, but I'm just going to say it right now. If this center power forward, big man, uh, quartet, troika, duo, whatever you want to put it, this is as good as we've ever seen here. Am I wrong? Am I right? Am I just being excited and being stupid? What do you say? Uh, it might be the greatest collection to see the court at the same time. I would be hard-pressed to say this group is better talent-wise than Tolbert Cook Rooks, even though Rooks never played with Tolbert. Um, but yeah, it's it's... If you go in deep, you know, Rooks, Williams, and for as maligned as he is, Ed Stokes is a really nice third big man. Uh, he just promised when he became a starter, he was still the third big man. Um, you know, so, yeah, Wayne Womack in that group. So I, I, it's up there. Um, they may not have the NBA accolades some of those other groups from, but from sure size, um, this is a better version of the Tucson skyline, which never quite developed. Shoe, what do you think about that? Uh, like you said, I'm not really into the comparison thing all that much. But hopefully, if you're doing a PHNX Wildcat broadcast 10 years from now, and there's another big line that comes in, you can compare them to this line, which is a good thing. Uh, the strength of Arizona's basketball team is obviously on the inside. There are, a, other than the talent and depth that they have at that position, uh, or at those positions. They also, in some key games somewhere along the line, also potentially have 20 fouls, which a lot of teams on the inside do not. And that's going to be the type of thing in physical matchups that may be necessary. Uh, but there's a lot of conversation, I think, about who's a, a better player. Is it Tabellus? Is it Ballow? To me, it's both of them. They complement each other. They complement each other perfectly. If they're if they're on the floor at the same time for most of the game, that makes things difficult for the opposition. Visar has played really well the last couple games and appears to be moving in a positive direction. And Anderson was good tonight. Uh, again, obviously against lesser competition, but that I think is a good sign. And a lot of coaches that have passed through this program, and I think uh, Tommy Lloyd uh, says much the same thing, and a lot of coaches in another, a lot of other locations do as well is that when you're able to practice against better competition, which is what depth provides, your depth is going to get better along the way. And I think um, Arizona's number three inside player and number four inside player get to benefit facing a good one and a good two, whether that's 1A or 1B, depending on you know whether you like Tabellus or Ballo more, uh, on a daily basis, and it helps them become valuable commodities uh, as this season moves along. All right. We've had a lot of people ask about Kirk Creesa, and I can't confirm this, but I've talked to a few people, and it sounds like he just had some – sound like he had an upset stomach, maybe a little too much Taco Bell, a little maybe 
few too yeah, many Del also, Taco cheeseburgers. There's also something going around Tucson. Um, and uh, hopefully, and, and if that's the case, it may be short-lived. Hope, the concern, obviously, is if other players catch it three days from now, and then it maybe is, uh, you know, so, something that slows a lot of other folks down. But it sounds like it isn't particularly serious, and gen- generally speaking, Long-term, the cat should be fine. I want to get your guys' take on the bench here because some people are asking here about the bench, but a couple things first. OGs. All right, here's the the thing. OGs is partnered now with PHNX, the number one gummy out there. You can go to any of your local dispensaries, again, be 21 and up to enjoy, and they've got your sativas, they've got your indicas, you name it, they got it, all kinds of different flavors, very good stuff, helps put you to sleep, helps you feel good, you name it, they got it. Check out the show notes and the link in the description. Got to be 21 and up to uh, enjoy. Another thing you got to be thinking to enjoy is the four peaks now again many people think the four peaks are just the u of a big men they would be wrong the original four peaks is based out of tempe you can go down there you can check out they got a lot of watch parties if you want to go down there and root against asu be my guest but i would say this the better thing that you can do is come to the tap and bottle watch parties where they have four peaks brew as well so again, 21 and up, enjoy responsibly, check the show notes and the links uh, uh, for details, all of the description, we'll have that up there. All right, now, I want to ask you guys about the bench. Obviously, you guys did a great, great job on the post game. very happy uh, for, uh, very, very uh, happy that you guys were able to do that. Um, in the game against, uh, excuse me, against Indiana, there was some, be- there was some good bench play. Adama Ball was a guy. Are we at the point now, if you've got Adama Ball, said Henderson, and... Um, Henry Vasar, is that a good enough eight man, eight man rotation? Does that give you enough off the bench there, William? You're forgetting Boswell. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I think it's a legit nine man bench. Um, okay. Now, depending on matchups you, and, and how other guys, you know, if if Kerr is is hot, maybe Boswell gets his five minutes instead of his twelve minutes. But I think legitimately, you've got about nine guys, and if you have to turn you know, to, to Anderson for, for his five fouls or whatever, or just to sub in, you know, it's competent. And again, I think we talked about this in the, in the off season and it's lived up. It reminds me of those loot teams um, that had very strong benches, whether it was scoring off the bench or role playing off the bench. And, you know, how many of these guys, and I'll go all the way through Anderson. um, How many of these guys start even for, you know, Pac-12 teams. Right. A couple of the, you know, what, three of these guys could start for what, Oregon State could start for... We can't make fun of ASU anymore. They're actually good. No, no, they're playing well. But you know what? Would Arizona's second five, uh, with maybe the exception of Askew, start for Cal? Right. And I know that was a close game here, but Cal's awful. Uh, So I think think, that's the key. And again, you don't necessarily need Henderson to come off the bench and score 12. You need him to play some defense some games. You're going to need him to grab rebounds some games. Some games you're going to need him to knock down the big shot. Same thing with Adama Ball. You know, Boswell has shown that he can run the offense for small stretches. Um, you know, Henry can can pick up uh, rebounds or fouls or, you know, even tonight he, he what pumped in 16. Um, so it's a very versatile and talented bench. Now, if you have to go with all five of them for 20 some odd minutes a game, no, but to bring each guy off individually to spell other guys, it's, it's a great asset to have, especially when Arizona wants to go up tempo and, um, you know, also at times has a propensity to foul a little bit. 
You, you guys mentioned uh, we had a couple commenters and uh, I actually had somebody tweet this at me Saturday. And I wanted to ask both of you guys, because you could definitely speak to this about comparing and contrasting, because we talk all the time about how loot was up and down. Tommy Lloyd is up and down. You know, when you watch it, what just kind of comes to your mind? Do you see that's different? Maybe that's the same. Are there any reactions there? Because I've had a few people ask me that now, and I figured that I'd ask you to. I'll let Brad uh, chime in on this because I think Brad talked about this a little bit Saturday and I thought it was uh, pretty cogent. Uh, uh, there's a bit of a foundation in essence there. There's a little bit more of a, the coaching element between Arizona and Gonzaga and back to Arizona is li- a, a little bit like Lombard Street in San Francisco. Kind of waves around a little bit, but sort of ultimately gets from beginning to end. Olsen is sort of a foundational component in the running nature of college basketball. Obviously, he's not the only coach that ran a lot. Plenty of them did. But Olsen ran with a certain style that, uh, you know, pressed a little bit in the half court on the defensive end, utilized that defense to score on the offensive end. And um, his he he also allowed uh, our pal Matt Muehlbach has talked about this quite a bit a certain freedom in individual players. Now, Mark Few at Gonzaga has done, has tweaked some of those approaches. I think they want to get up the court faster. They, they, they like to run on a more even consistent basis. If the running opportunity is there, they almost try to take it. Uh, but there's a lot of Arizona trying to run off defensive rebounds and trying to run off of uh, steals out on the perimeter. The defensive rebounding part, I think, is a little bit different when you look at the Gonzaga slash Tommy Lloyd model. Lloyd, I think, has sort of melded the two uh, and and has a team that uh, it likes to move up and down the floor and is very quick to deal with. So it's, it's not a new thing, but each coach who comes along kind of tweaks a wrinkle a little bit. And uh, I, I think all three of them have clearly, based on their overall records, uh, done phenomenal jobs giving their respective fan bases an up-tempo style that has also led to a lot of W's. Yeah, to me, in many ways, I think what Lloyd does, which Luke did, which Few did, is they're up-tempo, but they're versatile. They're able to take what the other team gives them, I think, more than some of your... You know, if you looked at uh, Nolan Richardson, for example, he you played his style regardless it was we're going to get up and down we're going to press 40 minutes of hell uh on his best teams it was you know my two guards are going to jack up long threes or we're going to dump it down to Corliss and I don't care if you've got a seven foot two 300 pounder or a six six guy Corliss is going to get his touches in the paint right and then what was it Stacy Dillard the guy who could shoot from like three counties over who was just impossible to guard you know Patino, to a lesser extent, was kind of that way. I'm going to dictate pace. Certainly, was Tark it Scotty Thurman, not Stacy Dillard? Was that there the was name? Dillard and Thurman both? Okay, they, they had, I think they had both. But yeah, Dillard's the guy, or Thurman's the guy I'm thinking of, though. You're right. Um, whereas I think with you know, even look tonight. Tonight they had the clear inside matchup. Okay, I mean they're still scoring ninety some odd points, but um, you know the three bigs. We're not even going to count. We're, what was it? Fifty some odd points between the the three bigs. Maybe sixty when you count Andersons, um, and not that not that Nolan didn't do that, but it's very much, you know, there'll be games where they're not going to dump it down as much because that's just, but it's that free flowing, and they can go full court, they can go off of turnover, but they can also get into the half court and still play up tempo half court and play 
pretty smart nine times. I mean, obviously this team does turn over the ball a little bit, um, but so did loot teams. You know, loot wanted like 14 turnovers or less, whereas what was Miller 11. Uh, right. But that was because loot had 12 more possessions <laughs> right, per right. game. But that's what it really reminds me of is just this versatility, this and this ability to score efficiently, whether you're running and gunning or just getting into the half court with that motion offense. Right. No, I, I no, I totally agree with that. Uh, one thing I, I do, I am remiss in, and that's why we have people like William Brad Alice here. Uh, Kylan Boswell had 8.7 rebounds or uh, 8.7 rebounds and eight assists in 26 minutes. That's again, I get that you're playing Corpus Christi, but that's a heck of a stat line, no matter who you're playing, especially for a guy that was struggling a little bit. And he looked confident. I, you know, I, I mentioned this on Twitter, I think in the post game of the week, I think Adama ball looks really close to figuring it out. And I would include Boswell's there now as well, where and it may not happen to the full extent of their abilities this year. Um, but they're really close to clicking enough where they can be dangerous against even more talented teams as you know, ball again, ball had some good minutes against Indiana. And I think the other thing that, and I was thinking about this when they were talking, I was listening to the broadcast and um, I think it was uh, Kent or Mulebach, not sure which, but they mentioned, you know, Balo could be the first guy to be most improved and be yeah. in contention for Pac-12 player of the year. And how many, and you can look at this team and say, if Balo and Tubelis leave next year, you realistically can think, can Boswell and Ball be stars on this team? And right. that's a loot thing. Remember, loot, Michael Dickerson barely played as a freshman. Um, you know, Miles 11 Simon. points for as a sophomore, 19 as a junior. Exactly. Right. And that is something we didn't see under Miller because of how the game has evolved. You're one and done. You know, marking and leaves and you need a new star. You know, Trier was the same guy day one as he was day three. And maybe that's an indictment also of Miller. You know, uh, Solomon Hill was one of the few guys who got progressively better. Um, but this team looks like they're built in that style. And again, Gonzaga does this and a few other schools do that. We're seeing, you know, Carolina have more guys who last who you can be a role player, a bit player in, in some cases, freshman year, really good, you know, sophomore year, maybe a star. I mean, you know, these guys evolve and that's really good. I think for fans, but hopefully it's really good for recruiting where you bring in a guy and you let him know, you know, like, again, people are making fun of Dylan Anderson uh, over there. Why? We He's what? We were advertised. Correct. We wondered if he was going to redshirt. And again, in some ways, and he's not as good as he was as a freshman, but that's how Channing Fry was advertised. If you remember, yeah, you know, I remember Shu and I in the old Cat Tracks offices. Are they going to redshirt this kid? Is he going to be? He was the third best kid on his high school team because the Fontenot brothers didn't pass. But um, right. so, but that I, I find it refreshing, but I think it's also a very you know, valuable thing that you can do to continue to develop these kids. And whether that's a Tommy Lloyd thing, which I think it is, Ricardo Foy, um, you know, Murph, Robinson. It's very interesting that, you know, these people are all on the panic button right now about recruiting. Well, they got a top 15 kid. I mean, I know he's not ranked top 15, but I think we all know KJ Lewis is really good. But if your three stars next year are ball... Lewis and, and, you know, and, 
Boswell, you know, and who knows what Big Henry is going to be like, and who knows what Dylan Ash is going to be like. It may what, just be the thing, and this is what Luke did. You just keep rolling, and you don't have to worry about bringing in four new stars and trying to integrate them. You just kind of promote guys from within. You know what's interesting uh, about this entire situation is that you look at it. Uh, Umar Umar Ballo can come back, obviously. Julius Tabellis, Kirk Kreisa. And granted, I know we're in a different age of uh, college basketball, but at the same time, these guys aren't great NBA prospects per se. You look on uh, you look on draft boards, you're not going to find them. And if you do find them, they're late second round picks. I'm curious as to how the whole NIL thing works because. If you're one of these guys, let's say you're Umar Ballo, for example, who, by the way, came came around about 25 years too late because if he was in the mid-90s, he'd be a first-round pick. But let's just say somebody comes to you and says, hey, here's 250000 to come back for another year. That's pretty enticing stuff there, Shu. But uh, just to kind of th- that point into Brad's point, what do you see from the bench right there and some of these other guys that we've, you know, kind of talked about scattershot throughout the season. It's so early in the NIL thing to get a real gauge on how that well, that's fair. ultimately going to break down. Uh, it's it's a perfectly legitimate point you made. <clears throat> it's also, uh, we just don't know right now. So it's very possible a few more kids stay here and there. It's very possible that if there's you know more money potentially to be made overseas or more money to be made in the NBA or another league, you do it. Uh, who knows? We'll find out. One of the things I like about uh, Arizona's UN approach. And I think this is going to be something to pay attention to with Gonzaga and Arizona is there. They may suffer less from losing players by virtue of transferring. If you live in the States, generally speaking, and, and you're not playing the minutes that you'd like to play in a program, it's easier if you're in the States to jump to another school. If you live overseas I think you're going and and you're uncomfortable with the amount of minutes you're getting. I think it's more difficult to make that leap to go to another school. You're going, you're, you're more likely to stick it out and see if it works a little bit. That kind of continuity, I think, is going to help teams uh, that have a pipeline uh, to more places than just the U.S. You have argued, Brad has argued, other people have rightfully argued that Arizona needs to recruit better in the States, that's absolutely true. But I think they're definitely going to benefit from that overseas pipeline as a result of that. And you're going to see a lot of this kind of beneficial transition uh, for a program like Arizona. Arizona should be good regardless of their overall recruiting star standpoint, uh, I, I think, for the foreseeable future. And and so you know, until it starts to not be good, it's not something that I tend to get particularly worried about. There are a lot of players on this team who I think are going to stay on this team who are going to get better in this program. Another thing that I think is very helpful is that for whatever reason, and I think this is a bit of the style, and this is a bit of Lloyd's ability to be able to communicate the style. For whatever reason, he gets players to buy in to be unselfish, and the rest of it is relatively simple. While the sets look complicated and are difficult to stop, from pretty early on, the team understands what it is they're expected to do. Right. And they advance, as a result, a little bit quicker than other teams. As far as that's concerned, there are a lot of parallels to the early early era of Lute Olsen teams. There was a lot of talk in Olsen's early tenure in Tucson, from 88 until about 94, about how Arizona was more advanced than everybody else in November, and then they'd drop a game here or there in December, that, that infamous game before Christmas, 
And then as the season progressed into uh, January and uh, early February, other teams would start to get a little bit more cohesion and be able to catch up to where Arizona was. Arizona jumped out of the gates faster, and then other teams were able to catch up. And then what Arizona hoped to do is make the run from about mid-February and peak into March. This team and last year's team have a lot of that same feel about them. And, and so the question becomes, how much is Arizona going to continue to improve as this year moves along? And at what point are other teams going to ultimately catch up? I think the game over the weekend with Tennessee is obviously very interesting in that regard, but I'm certainly interested as well with some of the other uh, conference opponents that Arizona has on the ledger. We're going to get to the tech. Just real quick. back on show after your read. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then we'll get to that. And then I wanted to talk a little bit about the Tennessee game. But uh, first of all, uh, tap and bottle. All right, this is where you go for the official watch parties of PHNX Sports. Both of these men have been down there before. Come check it out. You got four peaks on uh, draft. You got four peaks there. You've got Mountain Mike's Pizza as well. Just saying, and it's a great place to go. Yell at the screen. Be able to watch. You got a lot of people there watching, yelling at the screen, and just be awesome, Wildcat fans. Again, tap and bottle downtown. Great setup, big screen TVs, um, and enjoying a few uh, adult beverages. And the next one, illegal Pete's. Who doesn't have who at the U of A? And I know there's an illegal Pete's in Tempe. They got they got many of the same similar deals. Great food, tacos, cheese, you name it, they've got it. But illegal Pete's in Tucson is better than the one in Phoenix, as is generally the case. You go to illegal Pete's. John Schuster knows this from living in the area. Legal Pete's is probably a fairly prominent drop-off at points, maybe a pickup as well. And that's because it's awesome. People like Illegal Pete's. So, again, check it out. Check show notes and the links in the description. But, again, Illegal Pete's in Tempe or in uh, Tucson, great spots to go. Happy to have them as a sponsor. University in Tyndall in Tucson. University in Tyndall in Tucson. All right, real quick, and then we'll get to your point. I wanted to go by the numbers right here and see – What's uh yeah, okay. So you got first of all, you look at it 52 rebounds to 32. This was what should have happened because you look at uh, uh you look at um Corpus Christi, they were starting a six-four power forward, the assist, the shooting just across the board. It was a very efficient, uh efficient game there, Brad. What do you see when you look at those numbers? You know, I look at the fact that Arizona shot almost as well from behind the arc as they did inside the arc. Um, shoot, if you can shoot 55.6% and you don't win, uh, something is very, very wrong. And, uh, you know, not only that, but when you shoot 30 points better uh, right. from behind the arc than your opponent, um, unless you're just taking two shots, uh, that's really hard to lose those basketball games. Uh, very well put, John Schuster. Do you see anything in there? Yeah, I thought the defensive numbers were just as interesting as the offensive ones. Uh, in the first, uh, let's say, 10 to 12 minutes of this matchup, when things were still close, and Arizona wasn't quite accustomed or, you know, it took a little while to kind of get their bearings in place here, and uh, Corpus Christi did a very nice job getting to loose balls and disrupting in the early stages. Uh, That gave them some opportunities in transition to score and keep things interesting. Oddly, once it got into a half-court game and Arizona solidified on the defensive end, their height pretty much took over, their depth took over, and uh, that was pretty much all she wrote. And 
if you look at those defensive numbers, that's uh, Arizona shines in that regard as well. Not only are you going to win a lot of games shooting 55 from three-point range, you're going to win a lot of games if you're holding your opponent to 30.7 from the field as well. Right. William, what were you? what did you want to get to? It looked like a very good point. Well, thanks. I'm glad it looked good. Um, you know, she was talking about the European players versus the American players. I think the one thing you have to look at is just how basketball is different on both continents. I mean, if you are an, worth your salt in, in Europe, you come up through a pro team's development system. Um, you know, Adama Ball playing for, for a French pro team's, you know, amateur team. Uh, all these guys came up and you basically have to wait your turn. You have to earn your spot. You have to go from you know the, the the real young team to the under eighteen team to the main pro team, um, and that's kind of how the system works in at least a lot of Europe. I know Sweden's a little different just because there's not a lot of basketball players, right? And there was if you didn't read an excellent article on the Athletic today about Pella Larsson, uh, the Swedish pinball, although they don't mention it in the article. They're lost. It'll come around to them. It'll come, yeah. But conversely, here, and it's worse than ever, and I don't want to stereotype American basketball, but you got guys who announced their transfer from one high school to another, from one prep school to another. You don't like your playing time on, on one AAU team, you jump to another, or you get recruited to another AAU team. Um, so I think they're, the European system just kind of breeds – patience uh whereas the american system is is very much what can i do now um what what can i get um and again not everyone is like that you know a lot of guys and i think when you look at you know and i'm going to pick on dylan anderson but dylan anderson went to the same high school for four years he didn't jump to one of the prep schools um so i think that is a different mentality where there is a kind of built-in patience uh, in the European system that is, and certainly, you know, we've seen guys, and you know, you can actually, I've seen, you know, if a guy does go pro at 17, he can get traded to another team or whatever. But for the most part, you come up fairly slowly through the, not only the, the, the pro team that has the amateur club, amateur air quotes, but also through the international system. You know, you look at Larson and, 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 and Krisa and, Bala, all, all these guys have all played for their national teams, whether it's their U17, U18, or, you know, I think Larson, was it Larson who was playing with the regular national team uh, over the summer, uh, maybe even uh, Crease as well. So, it's, yeah, there's just a patient as you have to pay your dues up the chain that you don't necessarily see because if you're really good, some high school is going to start you as a freshman. Right. Let's look ahead to Tennessee here in a second, because there's a lot that uh, I think is fascinating about Tennessee, but have I told you about the DraftKings Sportsbook app code word PHNX? Yeah, but you can't talk about it enough. All right. It's a great point. Here's the deal. So you put down five bucks, a measly five bucks on an NBA game, just not four, five. You put down five bucks on an NBA game and if that team wins money line, you can get up to $200 in free plays. Now, last year, John Schuster and I signed off on this, advised all of you to bet against the Pistons, which promptly forced the Pistons to basically become the best team in the NBA. I'm trying this now. Bet on the Suns when they're playing bad teams. Check that one out. But again, 
Um, 21 and up, Arizona only. Got a gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. But again, the DraftKings Sportsbook app, code word PHNX. Check out the show notes and the links in the description. <laughs> Bet on the Suns, though, against bad teams. So check that one out. Um, all right, Tennessee to me, guys, is fascinating because Tennessee to me encapsulates a lot of what you worry about with Arizona. And you saw that last year when Arizona went into Knoxville. Physical pressure. You know, they get up in you. Um, that's kind of what you saw against Houston last year in the tournament. Uh, TCU as well. I think this even this game's at McHale, but I think this is going to be a fun game to see where Arizona really is, um, where Arizona really is against that style of play, fellas. Yeah, completely agree. And, and it's a great one to have on the schedule as a result. Uh, we're all worried about this uh, this almost like Southern-ish group of uh, <laughs> basketball teams. The yeah. Alabamas, the Arkansas, the uh, Houstons, the Tennessees, that, that group that has a bunch of physical wings, a good backcourt, athleticism, uh, and, and wants to beat you up throughout the course of the game, uh, talks a little bit in the process, and... Uh, you know, that's it's it's a it's a legitimate team with a style that we all think can be problematic for Arizona. So it's the type of test that is really beneficial, I think, for the U of A at this early point. And we'll and, and we get to find out maybe if some of the additions uh, they've included on this team, a guy like Ramey is yeah. uh, a benefit. If Arizona's veteran backcourt elements, Creason, Larson etc. are guys who can answer that and know what to expect perhaps a little bit better than they did in matchups last year. Because like in most games, Arizona is going to have an advantage on the inside. But, uh, you know, the pressure on the perimeter is probably going to be problematic. And if we've been concerned about Arizona's turnover circumstances, and I think, you know, we certainly have been, it's higher than we'd like. Uh, Tennessee is the type of team that can be a problem in that regard. And if they force a turnover, they're going to score. And that's going to, you know, create some momentum issues here and there. It's also an interesting game, I think, for Tabellus, who is a guy who has been, who got criticized a lot late in the year for being pushed off the block against more physical teams. You know, from the get-go, Tennessee's going to try to do exactly that. And we'll get to see... Uh, how well Tabellus, who has been excellent for Arizona this year and looks more advanced than he did last year. Looks like his offseason has certainly paid dividends. This is one of those matchups uh, where we get to see whether he's made uh, necessary steps to make Arizona more of a formidable opponent against this type of competition. William? You know, one thing that I find very intriguing is looking at Tennessee this season. They've played three close games. Um, other than that, they've drilled everyone. And that includes Kansas, who they beat by 14. Now, I don't right. know if that was a late pull away, but two of those three teams they struggled with, Colorado and USC, so Pac-12 teams. And at least in USC's case, a, a Pac-12 team that's not completely dissimilar from Arizona. A little bit up-tempo, uh, kind of athletic. Now, uh, they end up beating uh, USC in overtime, but you know, took them to overtime. And then Colorado, who is one of the most bizarre teams in America. If you look at their early right. season schedule, uh, you know, handled them fairly well, but you know, Maryland's the other one who played with them. But other than that, I mean, they're beating some of these small conference teams by 40, 50 points. And, you know, defensively, 
they're all, and again, it's way early. They haven't played enough good teams, but they're like on record setting pace for like defensive, you know, different analytics. So again, I think it's one of those clash of styles in the fact that you've gotten elite offense versus an elite defense. Um, now, talent wise, they're both pretty athletic. Uh, you know, they're a little more physical. Arizona's a little, probably more athletic. Arizona's a little bit bigger, but not, not much. So I think, yeah, I think it's going to be a fascinating game. And, um, what do they say? Styles make matches or mm-hmm. styles make fights. And, and that's going to be the case with this one. Yep. All right. Everybody out there really thank you. Awesome. Awesome contributions from all of you. Um, well, eight tip on Saturday. So probably about a 10 30 post game. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Everybody out there, though, you're the ones that make the show. Thanks for all your remarks. Um, Brad, Shu, as always, really appreciate both of you. Jacob Franklin, we're going to let him sign off. Just to let you know, Jacob Franklin is working on his master's. He's decided that he didn't like his ASU undergrad, so he's working on an Arizona master's, which we will uh, 100% give him a lot of credit for there. Jacob, you're doing good work right there. Nobody can see Jacob, so you're going to have to take my word for it. All right. Everybody out there, again, thank you a ton. Again, means the world to me. For uh, John Schuster, Brad Alice, the aspiring U of A grad, Jacob Franklin, I am Mike Luke. You have been listening to the AZ Wildcats postgame.